before I spent um, time as a teacher, I spent time as a pastor of a church. And uh, as a pastor of a church, I, I was reminded this um, past Christmas of one of my biggest mistakes I made as a pastor. Uh, my wife's uncle came to visit us over Christmas. And my wife's uncle is a great storyteller and it tells jokes. I mean, he's hilarious. And when I first got into the ministry, we lived close to them and we were at their house and he told me a joke and I thought the joke was hilarious. And so then on Mother's Day, I thought this would be the time to use that joke. And, and I was newly married. We had only been married, I think, three years, maybe four. And I hadn't learned to read my wife's face. And, you know, I started to tell the joke and she had heard the joke and, you know, you see it in her face. Now I know that look. It means, you know, you, you need to stop. But I didn't know then what I know now. So I told the joke uh, on Mother's Day, and, and it was terrible. It went horribly wrong. Here's the joke that I told. And there's a reason I'm telling you this, and you'll, you'll understand in just a moment. But here's the joke. Two cannibals are standing over a cauldron. The one cannibal looks at the other cannibal and says, I don't even like my mother-in-law. The other cannibal said, that's okay, just eat the noodles. I told that on Mother's Day. We had given out flowers celebrating mothers. And then I tell that joke. It was awful. You talk about not reading the room. You know, I had totally failed. The reason why I tell you that this morning is because I, I, I don't want to miss you this morning. I don't want to not understand where you are and what's happening in your life. I don't want to be so glib and so quick with what I want to share that you feel like I'm either saying it's easy to get through or that I'm saying to you, you need to get your life squared away and judging you because that is not my intention at all. My intention this morning is to share with you from Scripture what we have available to us when life doesn't go as we had planned it to go. When life doesn't go smoothly, there are things that we need to remember in order to get through those times, in order to, to get through the difficulties that oftentimes come our way when we seek to follow Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22, we will learn together four reminders, four reminders if life doesn't go smoothly. Four reminders. The first reminder is found in verses 22 and 23. Jesus, it says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. The first reminder is that Jesus will pray for you. Jesus will pray for you. In this setting, the disciples have experienced some marvelous things. Just the story previous to him sending them away, he had fed the 5,000. What a marvelous moment. And so Jesus says to them, you need to leave. Imagine their consternation, wanting to be a part of the action where Jesus is, and now he's saying, you need to go away. Uh, the other part of it is, you know, they liked being with Jesus. They didn't want to leave him. Uh, Jesus and the disciples had a great relationship. As you can imagine what it would be like in reading scriptures and seeing the thing and just being a part of what Jesus, the disciples didn't want to go. Uh, the other thing was, remember, they're fishermen, and fishermen have a sense about the weather. And so they knew a storm was coming, and here's Jesus saying, get in the boat and go to the other side. And in their minds, they had to have been thinking, we might get caught in this storm. But Jesus says to them, go, 
go. And when he dismisses them, he prays. He prays. You, you see, Jesus is praying here. And when I say Jesus prayed, some of you are puzzled by that because of your own prayer life. Because sometimes in your own prayer life, you think the only time you pray is when someone's sick or when there's a crisis and Jesus is not experiencing either one, but yet he's praying. And you're puzzled by that because too many times our prayers have become bless me, be with me. Oh, God bless me. God be with me. But Jesus wasn't that way. He didn't pray that way. You know, think of the relationship that you have with your spouse. Imagine if all you ever said to your wife or to your husband was, bless me, be with me. What kind of relationship would you have? You see, that's why praying with Jesus, when Jesus prays, it's not that way. He's not saying, God, please bless me. God, please be with me. Instead, what I think that he does is I think that he is praying for the followers who were surrounding him. Remember what had just happened, feeding of the 5,000. And in John, his account of this, they wanted to make Jesus king. And the disciples are like, yeah, let's, let's go. You be the king, we'll rule with you. But instead Jesus says, no, you need to leave. And so I think he's praying for his followers that they won't be so shallow, that they won't just want the things of life that satisfy their basic needs. I think he wants more out of his disciples, a richer devotion, a deeper commitment. And I think that he was praying for himself. Imagine the burden that is upon Christ. Remember, we saw it in vivid detail in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is approaching the cross, which is a big burden, which is a big responsibility, and he's going to the cross. And he goes to his Father and prays, Father, give me the strength to get through this. And I think he's praying for the twelve, the ones that are in the boat. I think he's praying for them. John 17 reflects that often. In John 17, Jesus said, I I pray for those. And even Peter specifically, remember, he looked at Peter and he says, Peter, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. What a marvelous thing to imagine that Jesus is praying for us. It's a reminder that we need to have. In 1 John 2, 2, it says that we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is before God advocating on our behalf talking to the Heavenly Father about us and helping us through as the struggles of life overwhelm us. And of course, you can't help but look at this passage and see that Jesus is praying and think, if he needs to pray, how much more do I need to pray? How much more do I need to be involved in cultivating that relationship with my Heavenly Father? You see, we need to remember this morning that when life doesn't go smoothly, when life doesn't go as we planned, we need to remember that Jesus is praying for us. The second thing that we need to remember is found in verse 24. In verse 24, it says this, And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. The second thing to remember is there will be storms. There will be struggles. You see, we, we, we wish that this were not true. We wish that it was all blue skies and rainbows, but it's not. And the disciples discover that uh, considerable distance away from the shore. It was an eight-mile trip, and they were about halfway through uh, this trip, and they are uh, in a storm, and the storm is so great that it's like they're being tortured by the waves. It's that severe. And it is a storm that even these seasoned fishermen were terrified by. Uh, Later on in the passage, it talks about them screaming. They're screaming while they're in the boat. They're so terrified by what's taking place. 
And Jesus has sent them out into that storm. We need to remember a couple of things. The first thing is suffering with God is not about punishment. You see, God did not send his disciples out into the boat to be caught in the storm to punish them. But instead, he sent them out in the boat in the storm to test them and to teach them that he is available to them. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But you see, suffering is not about being punished. Suffering is about bringing the best out of you, healing the things that need to be healed, taking away the things that are not good for you, having them removed by the suffering. You know, I I have two sons. My oldest son, when he was born, had a beta strep, and he was immediately taken into the intensive care unit. And, And it was agonizing for me to watch him have blood drawn, to get shots taken, and he was there, and it was just not a very pleasant experience. I was the father, he's my only son, and I see him having this pain inflicted upon him. And like I told him in the first service, there was a moment where I looked and I looked at that doctor and I thought, you know what, I could take that doctor right now and he would never hurt my son again. But I knew that my son needed to go through that. My son needed to go through that to be healed. And I understood that the pain of the needles would result in health. And that's what it is when we go through the storms. God allows those storms to perfect us, to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. Corrie Ten Boom wrote a book, The Hiding Place. Corrie Ten Boom rescued and hid Jews in her home in Amsterdam uh, to keep them away from the Nazis during World War II. Someone in uh, her own hometown betrayed her, and she was discovered and taken to a concentration camp, and she was later released and wrote the book, The Hiding Place. She says this. She said, when the train goes through a tunnel and the world gets dark, do you jump out? Of course not. You sit still and trust the engineer to get you through. There will be storms. There will be struggles. Life will not always go smoothly. Dark, gloomy, violent, angry waves. But worst of all, the disciples are in the boat without Jesus. He's not there. Jesus is not there. Uh, He will show up in a moment, but he's not there. Uh, Here's the deal with storms. They are inevitable. And so because they are inevitable, as a follower of Christ, you have to ask yourself about that. You have to consider the cost. I have a friend that was diagnosed with MS, and they uh, sat down and thought through the diagnosis. First of all, you are diagnosed with MS. You may lose your sight. Will you still follow him? You have been diagnosed with MS. You may be crippled. Will you still follow him? You have been diagnosed with MS. You may not have your correct mind over time. Will you still follow Christ? You see, this morning, the storms of life are inevitable. And we need to ask ourselves, will we still follow Christ amidst those storms? Jesus tells us that he is praying for us. Jesus tells us that storms are inevitable. And the third thing to remember is found in verse 25. The third thing to remember is Jesus will meet you in the storm. Jesus will meet you in the storm. There's one boat, and Jesus had sent them on it, the disciples. They were gone. The storm has created this 
opportunity for Jesus to teach his disciples something. Now, they had already been in a storm before with Jesus. Jesus was in the boat during that time, though. Remember, the storm begins to rage and the disciples are frightened. And where's Jesus? He's in the back of the boat asleep. And they rush to the back of the boat and they grab Jesus and say, don't you care? And Jesus stands up and calms the storm and quiets the storm. But this is the first time that they are experiencing the storm without Jesus in the boat. And so he knows about the storm and he needs to show up. That's what he knows about this storm. He knows that he needs to be there for his disciples because they are panicking. Uh, Remember, verse 23, while you're in the middle of the storm, Jesus is praying for you. Uh, Jesus is understanding what's going on. You are being tossed and tormented in the storm, and Jesus is quietly and calmly talking to his heavenly Father. And when the time is right for him to show up, he does. Verse 25, Jesus knew where to walk. He knows everything, doesn't he? He knows everything. And I love the way that Matthew writes this. He walked across the water. It's very simply spoken. No fanfare, no big hoopla. Just Jesus walked on the water, just like it's an everyday occurrence. Well, of course it is for the creator of the water. It's an everyday experience for him. And and Jesus knows all about the storm. He knows your distress. He knows your circumstances. He knows how to get to us. You see, he's not walking on the water. Peter, is that you over there? It's not. John, John, wave if that's you. He knows where they are. And he's just walking to them. And I love too. You notice what he's not doing? He's not running. He's not running. You see, they're all in a panic. They're terrified. Literally, when it talks about them being terrified, literally that's them screaming. These men who have been on the water before fishing, they're screaming. They're so terrified by this storm. And what's Jesus doing? He's walking. Because he knows when he needs to get there. He knows the timing of it all. He knows when he needs to show up so that the moment will be right and his disciples will understand not only how great he is, but a test of their faith that needs to be greater. You you see, Jesus knows everything about our distress. He knows all about us. You, You wonder, did Peter learn anything from this? Well, I think he did because he's the one that wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5. He wrote this, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. I think Peter got it, don't you? I think Peter understood. I think David, the psalmist, wrote this. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I think, I think David got it. You see, we need to remember that Jesus will meet us in our storm. He will understand and know exactly what the timing is. William Poole, a Methodist minister, wrote this in a hymn. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear. Ready to help me, ready to cheer, just when I need him most. Just when I need him most, just when I need him most, Jesus is near to comfort and cheer, just when I need him most. John MacArthur said this of this passage. He says, you can never really understand the power of God on your behalf until you are strung out to the extremity. Remember after the resurrection, well, Jesus uh, met two guys on the Emmaus Road. Remember those guys? They were disciples. They were upset. They were distraught. They didn't recognize Jesus. 
But what did Jesus do once again? He took on humanity. He put on human clothes. And then he searched out hurting hearts. And he found those disciples and ministered to them. And how did he minister to them? With the word of God. Remember, he taught them all the Old Testament and all the great stories. And all of a sudden, they had this dawning moment. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus meets you in your storm when you need him. When you need him most, he is there for you. Uh, Verse 26 of this passage says, The disciples cry out and they say it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. They were terrified, upset. They're alarmed, shaken, panicked. And what does Jesus do in verse 27? Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. And then the reason why you need to be of good cheer, it is I. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here for you. It's me. Don't be afraid because I am meeting you in your storm. The storm is nothing new. So he can say, be courageous. They've been through a storm before. He can say, be courageous because he always knows where you are. They had forgotten that. He was the one that said, get into the boat and go out into the lake. They had forgotten that. He says, be courageous because he can walk on water to get to you. There is no barrier or any obstacle that is too great that Jesus says, oh man, I got to figure this out. (laughs) I'm not going to make it. Fellas, I hope it's okay. I can't figure this one out. There's no boat. Instead, he walks on the water to his disciples and says, it's me. I'm here. Jesus could have stilled the storm, couldn't he? From the shore. He could have stopped it. Jesus could have kept them from going in the beginning. But you see, it is in the extreme that we meet Jesus and we understand how important it is to rely on him and to trust in him. This is really nothing new in terms of how God works, is it? Remember the children of Israel? They had been enslaved by the Egyptians. And in their enslavement, they were tortured and beaten. And it was a horrific slavery. And then in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, what does God say? I saw their distress. I heard their cries. Now I'm here to deliver them. Did he wait too long? No. He came just in time. Remember Lazarus, Mary and Martha? What happened to Lazarus? Lazarus died. And he was dead for three days. And who shows up? Jesus. Was it the right time? Of course it was, because he says, please roll the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Lazarus is alive. Even though they said, you know what? It's been three days. He stinks. There's no obstacle too great for Jesus. He shows up just in time. He is there when we need him most. Now then, notice what happens in verse 28. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Jesus says, come. And, And Peter came. Now, I want to be clear. As we are looking at this passage, this is not a lesson today on how you can walk on water. That's not what this is about. This is a lesson today on trusting the person that can walk on water, and that's Jesus, trusting in him. You see, walking on water, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, please, I want you to learn how to walk on water. Instead, he's saying, I want you to trust me. Because what does he rebuke Peter with later? He says to Peter later, he says, why did your faith fail? It was so small. So it's not about you walking on water. It's about you trusting in Jesus who can walk on water. 
One writer of this passage says this about Peter. He says, he, Peter, loved Jesus Christ and sensed in his presence tremendous safety. Now think about that for just a moment. Peter is in the boat. The storm is beating the boat. And Peter concludes that I would much rather be with Jesus, who I love so much, I would much rather be with him in the, on the water than in this boat with these other disciples. You see, G- Peter had already learned the in-boat experience. Remember the in-boat experience? The in-boat experience was go wake up Jesus, he stills the water. Now he wants to learn the out-of-boat experience. He wants to learn what it is to trust in Jesus. And in love he says, I want to be with you, Jesus, more than I want to be with these guys. Can I come? And Jesus says, come. And the reason why we know that Peter is not being bold or boastful or presumptuous or proud is because of that one word that Jesus says. Jesus says to Peter, come. You see... Christ is not in the business of endorsing sin. So he's not going to endorse presumption and pride. But instead he endorses love and faith and Peter gets out of the boat. And what happens when Peter gets out of the boat? He finds out that it's much more difficult than he had realized. And he sank. And he sank down. And when he sank down, he cries out, Lord, save me. Five reasons why people don't pray. You know what the top two are? I don't have time and I don't know what to say. Those are the top two reasons why people don't pray. Guess what Peter found out? He had plenty of time to pray. (laughs) Guess what else he found out? You don't have to say anything except what's on your heart. And what was on Peter's heart? I'm drowning. Save me. So when you approach God in prayer, you approach him with an understanding of simplicity and just sharing what your needs are with him, what your heart is beating and saying. And God rescues him. God saves him. Uh, Peter is out of the boat and rescued by Jesus Christ. In your storm, remember that Jesus shows up. The third reminder I'm sorry, the fourth reminder is remember that Jesus gets all the glory. In verse 31 it says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he says, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the culmination of a a day. Earlier in Matthew chapter 14, we find out that John the Baptist had been beheaded. And then we find out that Jesus took the loaves and fishes and fed 5,000. And then this marvelous thing of Jesus walking on the water that the disciples get to witness all of that. And what do they conclude after seeing all of that? They conclude truly this is the Son of God. They confirm his deity. Uh, You are God. Uh, This is the first time that they do this. And then they worshiped him. You see, if you're in a storm today, If you're in a storm today, find a precious promise from God and hang on to that. Can I give you a couple? Psalm chapter 5 verse 11 says this, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Those who love your name may rejoice in you. That's Psalm chapter 5 verse 11. Here's another one, Psalm chapter 9 verse 9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in time of trouble. Psalm chapter 9, verse 9. Psalm 23, verse 4 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, 4. 
a precious promise. Worship the God who rules the world. Worship the God who is able to walk on water. I was witness to one of the greatest love stories ever. When I was in college, I played basketball and we would travel. And sometimes we would travel and spend the night. And when we would spend the night, we would not stay in a hotel. We would stay in the homes of the people of the church we were going to go to the next day. Because oftentimes our coach would uh, take us to a church the next day and he would speak. And then we would share our testimonies. And on this particular night, I was a senior in college. And I, I had a friend. He was a sophomore. And I remember... Uh, building up to this event, he was lamenting the fact that he was a sophomore in college and still single. No prospects, no hope. And so uh, we had heard that, I especially, because I was rooming with him. And we arrive at this home, and we arrive at this home. It was in Indianapolis. And this um, husband and wife could not have been more hospitable. They welcomed us in. You know, my, my friend was six foot eight, 260 pounds. And so they have to provide a bed for him, you know, and they were very gracious. They sit down and they begin to talk to us and they pull out their family picture and their family picture has uh, the husband and the wife and their daughter. And they say, this is our daughter, Darina. She's a freshman at the college where we were. And so we were there together and then the mom and dad, they said, well, good night. You guys can stay up and watch TV if you would like or do whatever, or go to bed when you want. So the mom and dad go to bed. I remember my friend walking over and taking hold of that picture and lifting it up and he looked at me and he goes, I just found my wife. He says, I'm going to marry her. Well, you know how it is when you're 17. Somebody breathes your way and you think they're in love with you. You know, I mean, it's like, here's an available person. Well, what happened was we spoke in the church, then we went back, and that night I spoke in the chapel at college. And the parents had said, oh, please make sure you say hello to our daughter. Well, and my friend said, yeah, invite her up afterwards. So I did. So at the conclusion of my speaking, I said, would Darina come forward? We've got greetings from your parents. We have a message and all this kind of stuff. He met her that night. And from that night until 30 years later, they were together. Beautiful love story. Just, you know, a picture to being married for 30 years. Uh, That love story ended horrifically for him. At age 52, his wife was diagnosed with a brain cancer. And he was... He was rocked by that. That was 20 months ago. Two weeks ago, he sent me an email telling me about uh, his life uh, that has been rocked. It wasn't going like he had planned. He was expecting 30 more years. And he wrote to me in the email. He said this. He says, life isn't right, but he says, our trust in Christ remains. One week ago yesterday, she died. I got another email from a friend who went to the funeral and he said this about my friend. He said this. He says, he really demonstrated the joy of the Lord. Do you know why he could do that in the midst of the storm? Because his trust in Christ remained. As you're going through the storms of life, have your trust in Christ remain firm. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that we have these stories of your greatness, stories that change us. Because when we remember that you are praying for us, when we remember that storms are inevitable, when we remember that you will meet us in the storm, and when we remember to give you all the glory, it helps us weather those storms and circumstances.
Father, we ask that you allow us to keep these things in our minds as we go through the storms of life. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.